0: Good morning. Welcome to the Crosspoint Living Room. Thank you for continuing to give generously toward Operation Christmas Child by bringing in donations. You can see in your program what we are collecting here in the month of October. Make sure everything's new that you're bringing in, no liquids and those kind of things. But you can drop off all those donations at Guest Connections and as a result in early November we'll pack up those shoe boxes. Sun Chasers will send those out and uh, we pray we'll make a eternal impact in children's lives. Today we're in week two of our series called The Walk. We're spending 11 weeks walking through or studying the book of First John. So if you have a Bible on your lap or on your device, go ahead and get there. We'll be in First John chapter one. It's toward the back of your Bible. So if you hit Revelation, hit maps, hit uh, some like concordance kind of stuff, you've gone too far. If you missed week one, make sure to listen to the podcast. Eric did a great job of setting up the series of why we need to study this book, why it's important, and a lot of the context around it. The idea behind the series is in First John two six. In the ESV translation it says this Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If we say we follow Jesus, we must walk in the same manner or way in which Jesus walked. In the book of First John We get a really good picture of what it looks like to walk like Jesus, to live the Christian life, to not just say we are Christians, but actually live it out and have it impact our everyday life and relationships. As a Christian, we are saying that we are a Christ follower, that we are a disciple of Jesus, that He is our teacher, He is who we are learning from and becoming more like. Some might say a Christian means a little Christ, a mini-me, if you will, that that's who we're growing up to become more like. If we say that He is our Lord and Savior, then it's our continual prayer to say, Jesus, I want to be more like You. I want to reflect You to the world around me. I want to take on Your character, Your attitude, Your thoughts, Your actions, the words of Jesus. Now, when I say the word Christian, oftentimes, especially in the Midwest, especially in a rural setting like ours, we just assume that everybody is born a Christian, that we are a Christian by default, that that's the box we check, that's how we uh, identify ourselves on a survey, that because we are not a Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, atheist, pick your other religion, that I guess by default then, then we're a Christian. That if we occasionally show up to a building where they sing some songs and they kind of talk about the Bible a little bit and, and those kind of things, then we're a Christian, right? But when in reality, that's not at all what it means to be a Christian. Instead, if you're a Christian, you're... you're You're a Christ follower. The goal is to become more like Jesus. It's to live surrendered to to a greater authority, to humble yourself before a loving God, to allow the words of Scripture to lead and direct your life where God's words do not suggest to us how to live, but they command us in how to live. Hear me say this. The goal of a Christian's life is not simply to be a good, moral person or do more good than bad, or to avoid other religions, or just, and as a result, just kind of assume that we're good. Listen, your moral life, your church attendance, your serving of others, your background, your, uh, the fact that one of your parents, both your parents were Christians, the fact you were baptized maybe even, it doesn't save you. It does not lead to abundant life. It does not lead to eternity in heaven. Only Jesus saves. Only He is the way and the truth and the life. Only He is the path, the one path, back to our Creator, the one path back to the Father. Only He is the remedy to the heart of our heart that is full of sin. The goal of a Christian's life or a Christ follower's life is to reflect by the grace and power of God, reflect Jesus to those around us to become more like Him, to grow in, in, in our knowledge of God, to grow in the fruit of the Spirit so that over the course of time we might develop increased, increased love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In 1 John, we get a picture of what it looks like to be a Christ follower. And here in this book, we'll get some tests, if you will, that that we must pass in order to to really know that we're in Christ, that He truly is our Lord and Savior. Later on in this book, we'll look at a theological test that, that in a sense says, well, what do we really believe about Jesus? A moral test that examines our obedience to Christ and a relational test that says, how are we treating one another? If we say we believe these things, how are we actually treating one another? Is it impacting our relationships horizontally? My heart and desire is that as we read and study and work through 1 John, that the Holy Spirit would, would be at work in each of our lives, that we would examine our own lives, if you will, to determine, okay, am I really following the Jesus of the Bible? As your pastor, in the years and breath that he has given to me, I don't want us just to play church. Um, I don't want us just to kind of show up to some building on a Sunday and, and play along or play the part of a Christian, or try to look really, really good on the outside when the inside is broken and corrupt. I want you and me to truly know the living God in a personal, intimate way and see how following and trusting in Him changes literally everything. And and if it hasn't changed everything in your life yet, then are you really following Christ? So for the person here, the person uh, maybe not here yet, that doesn't know Jesus but needs to know Him, I pray that you choose Christ in this series, that you surrender your life completely to Him, trusting in Him fully. For the person here who has been and is following Jesus, I pray the same thing for you and me, that we would be reminded through the Holy Spirit-inspired words of First John what it looks like to walk as Jesus walked, to live as Jesus lived. And as a result, that our lives, this church, this community, our households, this world would be different. As some of you know, I have the opportunity to coach middle school basketball here in Eureka. Coaching allows my mind to think about other things when my mind wants to continually think about work 24-7. Coaching allows me to think about uh, something else, it allows me to work with a group of uh, young men for a season, and our season begins in a, in a week. So if you see me in sweatshirts and pullovers Monday through Saturday, um, just understand that there is a gym at some point in my future, probably in that, in that day. So I coached the 7th grade boys, and from tryouts on, uh, on the 20th until our first game, it's about two weeks. We have about two weeks, and it's not a whole lot of time, all right? So in the course of those two weeks, you're trying to throw in some semblance of offense and defense, but in the midst of that, you're also trying to work on some fun- basic fundamentals, dribbling, passing, shooting, rebounding, defensive stance, if you will, Um, because you can scheme up all you want, all some some great X's and O's, but if you stink at the fundamentals, if you can't make a layup, if you can't ball fake, if you can't dribble, then the wheels are going to come off, and the game is not going to go well, and I only have five timeouts to try to stop the bleeding, okay? And I can't call multiple timeouts in a row, although it's tempting sometimes, But in the verses we'll look at today, we're going to cover some basic fundamentals of the Christian life. John is going to take us back to some fundamentals, if you will. And some might say, oh man, I'm way past that. Shoot, I don't need this. Listen, in sports such as basketball, even the uh, professionals work on the fundamentals. They still have coaches. And in the Christian life, we never graduate. We never arrive. You never test out of a course called the fundamentals. Instead, these basic truths really provide the foundation upon which we build our lives, a life that is intended to glorify God uh, in everything. Specifically today, these verses will lead us to examine or evaluate our own attitude toward three areas, God, sin, and the cross. Examination, evaluation, it's a part of our everyday lives. We do it in our jobs. It gets done to us in our jobs or we evaluate others in our jobs, students, and most definitely you live in a world of examination and evaluation every day. In our relationships, whether with friends or family, marriage, parenting, we should be evaluating ourselves, examining ourselves, saying, okay, how are we doing on this? Where do we need to grow? What do we need to learn? And yet sometimes we don't want to apply the word evaluate or examine to the idea of our walk with Jesus. We want to separate that out. Uh, We want to examine and evaluate everything else, but but we don't necessarily want to examine or evaluate the most important relationship we have here on this earth. So my encouragement and challenge to you and me today as we look at these fundamentals, as we examine our attitudes toward God, sin, and the cross, is that we would be authentic, that we would be honest. We would not pretend. We wouldn't try to fake anything. We would get honest before both a God who deeply, deeply loves you, as well as people around you who deeply love you. So don't go examining someone else's heart or life. Just examine your own. And I'll do the same thing as I preach this. Uh, I'm praying that the Lord would expose in me areas that I need to grow in and, and to see change in my own heart. So we're in 1 John 1, 5 through 2, 2. I'll read this whole section, and then we'll look back through three questions, kind of examining our attitudes about God's sin and the cross. In the ESV translation, it says this, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Chapter 2, My little children, I write the, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. First question I want us to consider this morning is, what is your attitude toward God's character? What's your attitude toward God's character? Because what you and I think about God is one, if not the most important question in our lives. It has implications for our lives long after our death. So what's your attitude toward God's character? And verse 5 forces us to ask this question. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, John writes. John, known as the disciple in whom Jesus loved, John, who witnessed the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, he's heard the message from Jesus, he's seen it lived out in his life, and now he proclaims this message to us here in First John. And the message begins with this simple yet life-changing truth that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. He says the same thing in two different ways to really emphasize this so we don't miss it. And God is light and in God there is no darkness at all. It's a really simple statement. So why does John begin here? Well, consider this as one pastor has said, if we don't know who we are talking about, we don't know what we are talking about. If we don't know who we are talking about, we don't know what we are talking about. If we say we know God, but we really don't know anything about God, then we don't know what we are talking about. The message, the gospel message, the story of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, cover to cover, it doesn't begin with you and me. God himself is where it begins. He is at the center of it. So our faith doesn't have you and me at the center, but rather God. The message begins with this, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. And in one verse, we get a clear picture of who our God is, and it makes all the difference. So often what we do as humans is try to make God out in our image. And by that, I mean instead of allowing the Bible to define or to describe the nature and character of God, we instead, we allow our traditions, our own minds, what we hear from others to define Our God. And so we, in, so we incorrectly think that God is just, you know, slightly more wise or loving or forgiving, slightly more gracious, slightly more strong, slightly more merciful than you and me. Or we envision a God who kind of sits back like a grandfather, um, winks at us when we disregard what he says, and, and kind of pats us on the back, and pats us on the head and says, you know, try better next time, and then slips us a piece of candy afterwards. Or we envision a far-off, distant God, distant God who doesn't really care about us personally and only concerns himself with global issues because he's too busy with those to be concerned about us personally. Or we envision a God who's going to bring justice to the murderer or to the person who commits crimes against humanity or children, but not you or me because, well, you know, we're not as bad as those people. And when we do that, we're making God out in our image Or an image that appeals to us rather than allowing the Bible to describe to us the nature and character of our God. So John starts with God's character and we must as well. If we start with us, if we make God in our image, then we will get a picture. And we will make out a picture of a God who conforms to our desires and wishes. A a God who is there when we get ourselves into a pickle, right? But then we can disregard and ignore when we really don't want to do what he wants us to do where he signs off on our actions no matter what they are. Like Jesus, I, I know it says to follow you, but would you follow me over here? And, he, and he'll just kind of sign off on our actions. When it comes to, so when it comes to relational conflict, marriage, sex, dating, parenting, integrity at work, integrity at school, money, our willingness to show compassion, when we run up against things in Scripture that call us to live differently and we disregard them, then we're ultimately placing ourselves at the center of our faith rather than God. This is one reason that when we read our Bibles, we don't start with, okay, where do we find ourselves in this passage? But rather, what do we learn about God in this passage? What do we learn about His nature? What do we learn about His character? And then, knowing that, who are we in light of that truth? What are we supposed to do in light of that truth? God is light. In Him, there's no darkness at all. See, God gets to define God. We don't have that authority. The Creator... I'm sorry, the creation doesn't have the authority to define its creator. The maker is the one who lays out all those boundaries and definition of who he is. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So what does that mean or clarify to us? It means that God shines. He illuminates. He reveals. He exposes. He purges. God is light. This reveals to God's perfect, uh, spotless, beautiful, awe-inspiring holiness. His perfection that in Him there is no darkness, no evil, no brokenness. And honestly, you and me struggle to get our heads around that kind of reality because we've never experienced anything like it. We've never come face to with face with a drop to your knees, breathtaking, uh, causing you to fear holiness of God. And we might say to ourselves, what does this have to do with anything? Why does this matter to me that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all? Because knowing that God is light and there's no darkness in Him, quickly tells me that I'm not like Him, and neither are you. In me and in you is darkness. I don't care how good a show you put on that you can project outwardly, and us church folk, starting about uh, 10 o'clock, church folk across America, we're really good at putting on a good show, aren't we? Like drawing this Drastic contrast from the week before, from the night before, from the drive to church, from the getting ready for church. Wah, 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 wah. Hey, doing well, brother. And we just start breaking out some Christian words. Like, oh, it's a fine day to be in the Lord. And you just screamed at your kid. Before that, we're really good at putting on a show, us church folk. So we can have this contrast between how. God calls us to live and how we actually live. And There's no darkness in God, but there's darkness in us. We're sinful, we're broken, there are dark corners, dark recesses in our hearts, and we'd all admit that. Even if you're here and you don't follow God and you don't really care about God, you'd be the first one to say, yeah, I've got some darkness, I've got some actions, some thoughts, attitudes that I know that are not holy or perfect or pure like God. And this is one of the major areas that we want to redefine who God is. I mean, we, we, we know or I, I pray that we would know that God is grace and he is love and he is merciful. We don't want to redefine those. But when it comes to God's holiness, that he is light that, and it exposes the darkness, well, that's going to expose us. It's going to reveal so that we really hope that God is light to that guy, but that God won't be light to our own heart. A God who doesn't call us to live differently, that's the goal of our sin nature. That we could follow and worship a God who doesn't actually call us to live differently. So when God calls us to pray for and love our enemies, I mean the people that oppose you, the people that uh, despise you, when God calls us to live and, and love them, pray for them, we go, mm, I don't know about that. Or avoid sexual immorality, avoid gossip avoid lying. We're not sure. We're not sure about doing that. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all and that truth collides with the darkness in our own hearts. When we catch a glimpse of God's holiness, His light, it allows me to see sin for what it truly is. And I can't run from this light and neither can you. We can't hope it goes away or that it just exposes the person next to us and not our own heart. So how do we respond to the truth that God is light? What is our attitude toward the character of God? Do we try to hide? Do we try to cover it up? Or do we just kind of lay ourselves before the Lord saying, you know all, you see all. You see what's even within my own thoughts. And so I'm not going to pretend anymore. I just lay myself before you. Uh, The other morning I was driving along in my my car and I, I thought the car was pretty clean. On the outside. And then as I was driving, the morning light, sunlight came shining through the passenger window. And when it did, you noticed how dirty that window was. So here's a picture of the light with, with no light behind it. And I mean, I'm thinking, that's pretty, I got a pretty clean car. And, and then, um, you won't go to the next picture. And then the morning sunlight comes shining through like that. And uh, it's a 95 car. Really, I mean, I care that it's clean. I really. Part of me doesn't really care. But, um, so the morning light hits it, and it is not clean at all. Um, without the light, you don't see the dirt. With the light, um, you see that someone has taken their sleeve at some point and smeared things around, smeared the dirt and dust around, and that gets exposed in the light. And so it is with the holiness of our God. Without the holiness of God, we think, well, I'm cleaner than that person. But when held up to the perfect, radiant, holy light of God, you and I get exposed. And some of you, you've been trying to clean up your sin, the dirt on your own. You've been trying to smear it around, trying to clean it up on your own. You've been trying to cover it up with some other things. And at the end of the day, the holiness of God, the light of God is exposing that there's still sin to be dealt with. And it won't be truly dealt with until it's laid before Christ and covered in His blood. If we are to have a humble attitude toward the character of God, we must first understand that He is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. That truth then sheds light, if you will, on our own hearts to reveal that we are not sinless and without darkness. And so something has to do with the sin problem uh, that we're all born with. If we have a small view of God's holiness, we will have a small view of sin. We will be prone to be trivial about our sin. And rather than understanding the full weight that our sin is what Jesus bore on the cross, which then leads to the next question this morning. What's your attitude towards sin? What's your attitude towards sin? If the holiness of God exposes the sin, then what's our attitude toward it. G.K. Chesterton was an English writer in the early 1900s, a thinker, a theologian, and the story goes that Chesterton was asked by a London newspaper of uh, with this question along with several other thinkers, authors, they were all asked this question, what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world? And so they sent him a letter asking for his response to this question, thinking they're really going to get a a long, drawn-out response of what's wrong with the world. And his response was simple and to the point. He said this, Dear sirs, I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world? I am. What's our attitude towards sin? Are we pursuing humility in Christ to understand the personal sin in us? That at the root of things is that, that our heart is prone to wander and stray. This is where John is at in these verses. He's asking us to not, not look outward, not blame, not think to ourselves, I sure hope so-and-so has listening to this. I'm going to send them this email later on. They've got to listen to this podcast. And I believe this morning we are to look at our own hearts. Students, to look at your own hearts. Adults, to look at our own hearts. To ask the Holy Spirit to search us and know us As one pastor has said, what we think about sin will have a direct connection with how we deal with it in our own lives. Our thoughts often precede our actions. So what I think about Heather and I's marriage will lead to action. So what I think about sin, it will have a direct connection with how we deal with it in our own lives. One of the effects of truly following Jesus and continually surrendering your life to Him is the transformation of a life. You go from death to life from slavery to sin to freedom in Christ. You go from walking in the darkness to walking in the light, and that transformation is what John is talking about in these verses. Now, in there, he's got several if-then statements. There are, these are sentences built on conditions. He's kind of going back and forth, back and forth, like a tennis match, if you will. He's, he's developing some contrast between these, these statements, between a life in the dark and a life lived in the light. What we think about sin... We'll have a direct connection with how we deal with it in our own lives. So what we think about sin. So if we, if we think about sin biblically, it will cause us to deal with it biblically. So in these verses, you have these if-then statements. These, these three that we're going to cover lay out kind of the incorrect way or incorrect attitude to approach sin. Verses 6, 8, and 10. Verse 6 says, If we say we have fellowship with Him while walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So we claim to know God and love God, but we continue to walk in darkness. Meaning there's this continual pattern or a way of life in us that's, that's pursuing sin, that's kind of content with, with sin somewhere in our life. To walk in the dark means our life is more characterized by sin rather than righteousness. More about living for myself rather than living for God. So we are denying that sin breaks fellowship or relationship with God, we are kind of saying with our actions that God really doesn't care. And if we're believing that, John is saying that it makes us a liar. Verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, that, the idea in the Greek there is, if we say we're not guilty of sin, or if we're saying, well, we're not guilty because so-and-so is more guilty than I am, the, the guy down the street, we are lying to ourselves. We are denying that our own sin makes us guilty. And if we're believing that, we really don't know Jesus. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Here we are denying that sin is our personal problem, we, that we would not be the one to say I am to response to that question. We're denying that sin is our personal problem and in doing so, we are calling God, a liar. Because God in His Word says, well, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short, we've rebelled, and yet we deny all those truths and say, well, not me. I mean, them for sure, but but not me. And with that kind of attitude, we're calling God a liar. And we're basically saying with our actions, His Word has no place in our lives. If we're saying these things, we are deceived, we are fooled, we are tricked, and some of us this morning are there. What we're thinking about our sin, our attitude toward it is not leading to any sort of uh, change or action on our part. And by definition, then we are walking in darkness. The other two verses lay out for us the correct way to think about our humble, our humble attitude toward our sin. Verse 7 But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Walking in the light involves a willingness to be changed by God while walking in darkness involves a refusal to do so. So, we're going to walk in God's light, allow His holiness to expose us, and if we do that, then we're not only going to have fellowship with God, but then we're going to have fellowship and relationship with other believers. So, one implication of this is we can't say that we have fellowship with God but then live isolated from other believers. To walk in the light means you're you're not walking alone, but you're walking together with other people, helping call out blind spots in your life, and you're encouraging one another. You're following Jesus together. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we confess our sins, when we move them into the light, then we receive forgiveness. Some of your translations may say purify us. When we confess our sins, when we repent and agree with God's attitude toward our sin, our hearts are cleansed, purified. Forgiveness means that God is no longer holding our sin against us. He is no longer holding it against us. You want to read a story that Jesus tells telling us that truth. It's Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Purify means that the defilement of our sin is gone. The condemnation is gone, the shame is gone. He's reached down in his abundant grace, he's reached us, he's pulled us up out of the muck and mire and placed us upon a rock by his grace. And how can we be sure of that? I mean, don't you ever question that? You're just kind of entangled in something, you're going, I don't know, maybe, maybe not me, maybe I've done too much. How can we be sure? Well, the verse tells us because he is faithful and he is just. Because our God is faithful. He is both, both the just and the justifier. He is the one who will judge the sin, and he is also the one who makes a way possible for our sin to be taken away. If we recognize sin biblically, we will deal with it according to verse 9. We will confess it. We will move it into light. We won't pretend to not have darkness on our hearts, but we'll, we'll be authentic and honest in confession. A few practical thoughts on confession. Are you getting before God quickly when the sin gets exposed? When the Holy Spirit exposes it, don't ignore that. Are you you getting before the Lord quickly? Are you getting before Him, thanking Him for His forgiveness and asking Him to change you and remind you of your identity in Christ, to not let that sin take root? I would also encourage you not to be general in your confession. Name the sin. Were you unloving? Were you fearful? Did you worry? Did you sin in your anger? What is it? Call it what it is. If you've sinned against someone, confess your sin to them. If you've gossiped about them, confess it to their face, eye to eye. If you've sinned against your spouse, your children, a friend, confess it. See, confession is relational, it's relational, not only vertically to God, but horizontally one another. I can tell you after much personal experience in this that it will humble you to confess your sin face to face out loud looking at someone in the eye here's how I sinned against you. It will humble you and it'll be good for your soul because I, I, I just like, went over that last 45 seconds and your pride was like mm, mm, mm-hmm, no, I don't think so Right? Right? And that's why we need to humble ourselves. That's why you need to look them in the eye and say, here's what I did wrong. And then receive that forgiveness. Receive the grace of God through another person. In these verses, we're saying our attitude agrees with, um, in confession, we want to agree with God that with his attitude about our sin, that sin was beaten on the cross, that Jesus paid the full weight of it, that it no longer has a hold on our, on our lives. Part of living an authentic Christian life involves honest, ongoing acknowledgement of our, of our sin and yet also acknowledgement of our identity in Christ, that it is finished on the cross, that it was finished on the cross, that we are no longer a slave to our sin, But so we're asking the Holy Spirit to, to continually transform us. In, this, in, this, in these verses, we're saying with our attitude that we agree with God's attitude. To repent means to change our minds, to agree with God, to not agree with what we've always thought, what we've always been told, but agree with God, to no longer disagree with him, but agree with him, agree with God's word, agree with God's ways, and to change our mind. So what's your attitude towards sin? Your attitude reveals a lot about if you really know Jesus. Jesus if he's truly Lord and Savior of your life. And the final attitude we must examine this morning is what's your attitude toward the cross? 1 John 2, 1 and 2, it says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that, so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I write this to you so that you will not sin. Now John is not adopting the the idea that he criticized in verses eight and ten, the false idea that when you begin to follow God that you no longer sin or fall short. This doesn't mean perfection. It does mean, it does mean progress. That as our devotion to Jesus grows, that our desire to sin might decrease and die more and more. John is reminding us in the second half of verse one of the provision God has made for us when we sin, that we have the cross. We can look to the cross and both be sorrowful and broken about our sin and yet also reminded of the grace of God. And in Christ, we are forgiven, cleansed, and set free. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. And as Christ followers, we are fully aware that there is darkness in us. And we are in desperate daily need of God's grace. And so John reminds us of the cross. The incredible promise that Almighty God, through the Advocate, through His Son, Jesus, will forgive us our sins and purify us. The stain has been removed, and in Christ, we are forgiven completely, completely. What's your attitude toward the cross? See, the Advocate is the one who speaks on behalf of the accused. Jesus is our Advocate, speaking upon on our behalf in the presence of the Father when we sin. So when the devil brings these accusations to say, well, did you see this? Did you see what he or she did? Or, well, you'll always be the same person you've always been. You'll never change. And Jesus, the one who lived righteously and perfectly, stands in our defense. The righteous for the unrighteous. The perfect for the imperfect. The sinless for the sinful. The beauty for the broken. Verse 2 says that he is the propitiation for our sins. In many of your translations, it might say the word atonement. He is our atonement. He's the sacrifice, the only one whose death could take our place and satisfy our God. As John 1.29 says, Jesus is the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We are justified. We are made right before holy God because Jesus' sinless life and his substitutionary death. He took our place. He substituted Himself. He died the death that we should have died. He bore our sin. He took on our sin on the cross. Jesus absorbs the wrath of God. He stepped in front of the moving train of God's wrath and said, I will lay down my life for my friends, for those who will call me Lord and Savior, and walk as I have walked. So in our hearts, knowing the sacrifice He has made, the spiritual and the physical pain that He went through, for us who are sinners knowing all of that it should produce in us gratitude thankfulness worship so our attitude is not flippant casual or callous toward the cross but rather humbled and grateful christ followers then live the rest of their lives devoted to the one who laid down their life laid down his life for you and me Jesus is the atonement, the propitiation for our sin. He is the Savior, and by His wounds we have been healed. So, for the believer in Christ, when asked by someone, why should you go to heaven, or why would God accept you into heaven for eternity, our answer has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with us, and everything to do with the cross, and everything to do with Jesus. So our answer is not, well, I'm a good person or I go to this really sweet church in Eureka or I got baptized or I give of my money and time and, but instead, our answer is my faith and trust is in Jesus who died for me, rose again for me and offers salvation by grace and who has forgiven me. Faith in Christ is not about what you have done to make you acceptable to God. Rather, It's all about what God has already done for you and me through his son Jesus to make us acceptable to God. It's by grace you and I have been saved. When John says that Jesus is the atonement for not only our sins but also the sins of the whole world, he's not saying that Jesus' blood automatically covers all people, all all the planet and now all will go to heaven. Just because Jesus died and rose again does not mean that all are automatically saved. It does mean that all who place their faith, their complete faith in in Jesus and turn around and, and change their minds, or in other words, repent, are saved. John is saying that Jesus' blood and cross is the only way to address the problem of sin for all people, for all time, everywhere. And that invitation to follow him is for all people, no matter your background, no matter your baggage. All are welcome. To put their faith in Christ, in the one who is the way and the truth and the life. In Jesus, we find our joy and peace, rest and salvation and satisfaction for our souls. So what's your attitude toward the cross? Does it completely humble you that your sin contributed to his death? Are you aware of your sin, your past, present and future, that, in, that, that, that our sin contributed to what he bore on the cross? I don't know about you, but I think it's really easy to become all too familiar with the cross and lose sight of both its brutality and its beauty. First John 4.10 says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Do you know this love? Just search your heart. Do you know this love? Do you personally, intimately, relationally know this love found in God alone? If you claim to know such love, it should lead to a transformed attitude toward the character of God, toward our own sin, and toward the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. If you don't know this love, I pray you would today. I pray you would surrender your life to Him today completely. Crosspoint, what's our attitude toward God and toward sin and toward the cross? For all who can hear my voice, what is your attitude? toward God's character and toward our sin, toward your sin, toward my sin, and toward the cross. And before I close in prayer, I just want to leave uh, one or two minutes for us to uh, pray quietly at our seats, to respond as the Holy Spirit would lead us. And um, you know, if you're ready to meet the living God, if you're ready to give your life to Christ, then I would pray you would do that at your seat, to thank Him for His, to, to agree with God when it comes to your attitude with himself, with our sin and the cross and what it's done for you. So I just encourage you and I to respond as the Lord would lead us to say yes to whatever he's kind of exposing in us and pray and then I will close us in prayer in a couple minutes. God, thank you for the grace of being able to pray and to be able to be quiet before you. I thank you that you are light and in you there is no darkness. And when we know that, God, our own sin gets so easily exposed and the darkness in our own hearts gets exposed. So, God, I thank you that when we confess our sins, when we walk in the light, that you are faithful and just. Because of the cross, because of your love, that we are cleansed, we are forgiven, we are purified. I pray this week that we would walk in the light. You'd draw us close to you, draw us near to you. Remind us of your goodness and grace. Whatever encouragement or correction when it comes to our attitude toward your character and toward our own sin or toward the cross, I pray that you would both encourage and correct us today. We love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you set us free to serve you, to worship you, and to love you. Because of the cross, we are no longer uh, chained up, but we've been set free. So thank you for your blood. Thank you for the collision of grace and truth on the cross. Thank you that you are our sacrifice. We love you. Remind us of your great love for us this week. Remind us to walk in the light. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.